The text for the sermon this day is taken from the epistle reading, especially these words. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. That's the text. Grace to you and mercy from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So tomorrow night, when we gather for worship, gather for Good Friday services, you will hear the reading of John's Gospel, specifically his account of the crucifixion. And towards the end of it, Jesus will say, it is finished. He'll bow his head and he will die. When this has happened, the soldiers will have a task. See, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Amongst Jews, the Sabbath is from 6 o'clock on Friday evening until 6 o'clock on Saturday evening. And so they had to remove the bodies from the cross because... It would be the Sabbath the next day. When they came to the two thieves, they broke their legs. Basically, they took what's almost like a, a baseball bat and they shattered the person's legs. The idea was that either the sheer shock of the pain would kill them or they would slowly suffocate. Because the whole thing is, is that your leg, the legs held the person up. The cause of death and crucifixion is asphyxiation. In other words, they're slowly suffocating. They would use their arms and their legs to slow that down. But once the leg is broken, the legs are broken, it's basically like holding someone's head underwater. It will not take long for them to die. But when they got to Jesus, they had observed that he was already dead. And many actually believe what they end up doing is an act of mercy. Because there are, it is indicated in the other Gospels that some of the soldiers did not believe Jesus should have been crucified. And so they did what is known as the death pierce. And they took where they take a spear and they drive it into the side. And it goes right to the heart. And out flowed water, and blood. The reason being is that when someone is crucified, the cardial sac, which surrounds the heart, gets filled up with fluid. And so when they pierced it, out came blood, which is the most prominent substance coming from the heart, and the water came from the cardial sac. This lets you know that if Jesus did not, wasn't dead before, he is for certain dead now. But here's the question. Why does John go out of his way to mention what came out of the side? Why not just say his heart was pierced? Why not just say the spear went into the side? Why does he have to say that blood and water came out? So, over the last... So, I don't know if you realize this. We have a Bible study at Subway every Thursday night. Although we've taken a few week break. And we're going to take a break over 
from the summer. But this year, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And one of the things you find as a common theme in John is there's a lot of talk about several themes. For one is water. The very first thing you read about in John chapter 1 is that G talks about John the baptizer. And how does John baptize? What does he use? Obviously water. And Jesus was indeed baptized by um, John with water. Jesus came up out of the water and the, the, spirit, the spirit descended on him as a dove. It is in John chapter 3 that we hear Jesus say to Nicodemus that unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot have eternal life. And then the alternate gospel lesson for this day, for Maundy Thursday, and actually the reason why we call it Maundy Thursday, the mandat, which means mandata, is because Jesus gave a command to love one another as he has loved us. And he does this, he shows this by action. He gets down on his knees and he takes a basin of water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, I don't know if you realize how disgusting of a job that is. Now, I know we have a few farmers here or people have spent time in the farm. I'm guessing usually when you go out, you wear boots or something like that. My guess is that you don't think, oh, those sandals look great to go out and work with the cattle. But imagine if you did. Imagine somebody regularly wore sandals while working with the pigs or the cattle or the horses or whatever. And when they came back in, how many of you would want to get down and wipe, that, wipe, wipe up their feet? As it's covered in dirt and manure and whatever. That's what the normal foot was like in the time of Jesus. That's why it was the lowest of jobs to wash a person's feet. And so Peter, when he saw it, he said, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. This water that comes out of Jesus' side, the water that he uses to wash the disciples' feet, unless you are born of water in the Spirit, he said, points to baptism. <coughs> do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? When you were baptized, when that water was poured upon you, though it is simple water, you were united to Jesus' death. Your old sinful nature was crucified with him. It unites you to him. But what of the word blood? Blood, obviously the blood that comes from the crucifixion, but also in the Gospel of John, Jesus says in his bread of, bread of life discourse, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, have, you will not have life. 
For his flesh is true food, and his blood is true drink. Now, interestingly, John's gospel does not record the Last Supper. Why? Because John was written well after Matthew, Mark, or Luke were written. And 1 Corinthians has already been written, which means people have read about it four times. And so people are very well familiar with the events of the Last Supper. And so John, when he recorded those words in John 6, everyone who read it knew what it was a reference to. That Jesus, when he said those words, he was referring to the Lord's Supper. That when you eat the bread and drink the cup, that is indeed the flesh and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, our God can do incredible things when it comes to wine. Again, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, he was at a wedding in Cana. And they ran out of wine. So there was some panic, because the person who was in charge of providing the wine was always the, the family of the groom. And so to run out of the wine would be a great embarrassment. The mother of Jesus comes to him and asks, tells him of this. And so Jesus' response is, what is this to do with me? For my hour has not yet come. But he goes ahead, and he turns that water, stone jars filled with water, and turns it into wine. Showing what Jesus can do with water or with wine. But why does he say that hour? What hour is he talking about? Is it the hour of the start of his ministry? His ministry's already started. He was baptized already a chapter earlier. And guess what? This is going to probably ruin some people. It was not actually his first miracle, if you compare with the other Gospels. Because he already has disciples when he's at the wedding at Cana. His disciples, when he calls them, he performs a miraculous catch. The confusion comes from John's own gospel saying, he doesn't say it's the first miracle, he says it's the first sign. That's something different. Not every miracle was called a sign, but that one was. Because you see, there's only one other time that his mother shows up in the entire gospel of John. And by the way, she's not called Mary, she's just called his mother. She shows up one other time during his hour. Now, as he says, this is not his hour. It's not his wedding. That's what he's saying. His hour would be on the cross. When he would say to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he would say to John, Behold your mother. And see, his, his, earthly, his or adopted father 
Joseph was already dead at this point. And if you take in the other Gospels, God, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So while he's on that cross, he has left his father and his mother. Do you know where the spear went in? Went into the side. The Greek word that John uses is the exact same Greek word that the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the exact same word that is used from which God created the woman from Adam. Because you see, on the cross is Jesus' wedding. He is leaving his father and his mother to be united to his bride, the church. Out comes water, baptism by which we are united to him. Out comes blood, pointing to the Lord's Supper, which is referred to as a foretaste of the feast to come. What feast? The marriage feast of the Lamb, which has no end. Because when you, have a, when you get married, you have a feast. You have a meal. You have drinks. You have food. And this is a taste of that marriage feast that is awaiting us. The water, the blood. It's all connected to who we are in Christ Jesus. We are members of his church. And because of his blood shed on the cross and the gifts of the Lord's Supper, the gifts of baptism, he looks at you and sees you as holy, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. Your sin is completely covered. Just as that filthy manure-covered feet was washed, by the water that Jesus poured on their feet. So also your sin, which was about, is on the same level as that manure. Even so your righteousness, your good works, which are nothing but filthy rags. Jesus covers every sin you have ever committed in thought, word, and deed. The things you have done, the things you have left undone. Why are kids are supposed, why you're required to know your Ten Commandments so you can easily think, where have I fallen short? Where have I fallen short as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a grandparent, as an employer, as a citizen, as a neighbor, whatever it may be? And you can see your sin, see where you have fallen short. And Jesus, with water, washes you, makes you clean, forgives you of every sin. And in the blood of the Lord's Supper, we are strengthened. We are strengthened to love as he loved us first. That's what that water and blood is all about. Why single it out? It's to show you the marriage, the wedding, every marriage, every relationship is a reflection, a 
of that love that Jesus has given for us. In love, while we were still sinners, he gave himself up for you all. May we rejoice and ever look in comfort of this great love. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.